gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast The New 52 Adventures of Superman Superman Forever Radio I've got a few things to say about Superman The Carousel Podcast The Superman Vidcast The World's Best Podcast And... Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. And welcome to episode 67 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast providing exclusive coverage to the Man of Steel's Bronze Age adventures. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and today we're going to look at Superman's first meeting with a new superhero that is actually based on Sean Connery. No, really. Uh, See, when Sean Connery quit being James Bond, he really thought that the fame he got from that movie would be enough for him to get roles in other successful movies. Unfortunately, he ended up in the movie Zardos instead. Or Zardoz? I don't know. Released in 1974, the film stars Sean Connery in a post-apocalyptic future where he gets to have a very long ponytail and a costume that even Glady Gaga would scoff at. Even though the film was basically a critical and box office failure, Carrie Bates apparently loved the look and was inspired to create Vartox, an aging superhero from another world. And after a few promos... We'll look at his debut. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honors of Grayskull! Hello. I'm the Doctor.
Charlie's GeekCast, coming January 1st, 2013, to www.charliesgeekcast.com. I won't let you get away with this! From here on out, everything changes. Learn what happens when you mess with the most powerful being in the universe! In the wake of the battle with Frieza, and the destruction of planet Namek, a new threat comes to terrorize Earth. The androids. The sleeper has awakened. I am the prince of all Saiyans once again. Stay out of this one, Vegeta. He's mine. A young man with long black hair and a scarf tied around his neck. And 18, female, blonde, not unattractive. Those are the worst villains the Earth will ever know! Starting in December, and continuing throughout the entirety of 2013, join Donovan and Jesse as they chronicle Dragon Ball Z's most prominent sagas and battles. From the vicious villains... I'm bored. It's time for you to die! And the heroic good guys... I won't let you leave Earth till I make you pay for what you've done! Who are always... Always screaming. Kaioken Dimestead! Wait! It's the legend! Soon you will be at his mercy. What mercy? I'll die! The Next Dimension. DBZNextDimension.Libson.com You're about to find out what it's like to fight a real Super Saiyan. And I'm not talking about Goku. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Superman 281 had a cover date of November 1974 and a release date of August 13, 1974, with a cover by Nick Carty that shows Superman crying while holding Lois's dead body. Standing over them is Vartox, exclaiming, A life for a life, Superman. My wife was murdered, so I killed your Lois Lane. It's an interesting cover, not necessarily all that exciting or eye-catching, but I will say this. Vartox is a hairy man. Jeez. Uh, anyway, the title of the story is Mystery Mission to Metropolis, written by Carrie Bates, with art by Kurt Swan and Bob Oxner, and edited by Julie Schwartz. The Prologue We begin with a simultaneous look at two women who are fated to die. One works at Rosie's Cafe in Metropolis. The other is just getting out of bed on a planet trillions of light years from Earth. At Rosie's Cafe, a robbery takes place, but instead of giving over the money from the register, the girl hits the alarm, so the robber shoots her and runs off. At the same time, the girl on the other planet collapses. Both girls are now dead. Chapter 1. The Mystery Unravels On the unnamed alien planet, Vartox and a doctor are now with the dead girl. It turns out that she was Vartox's wife, and the doctor cannot figure out what killed her. Grief-stricken, Vartox flies her to get an autopsy scan to find out why she died. It takes a few days, but the answer turns out to be Vartox's wife had a bionic twin. When the twin died, so did his wife. Somehow, they figured out that her bionic twin is on Earth, so Vartox returns to his home and his invention, the Time Scanscope. Using his hypervision to give the Scanscope a boost, he's able to view Earth's past. Somehow, with over six billion people to look at, Vartox is quickly able to find his wife's bionic twin at the same time she was murdered. 
Determined to bring that criminal to justice on his own world, Vartox realized that Earth Superman would stand in his way because to retrieve this criminal would practically be kidnapping, which is, of course, illegal. Vartox's curiosity over what will happen when his duty conflicts with Superman's is soon answered when Vartox arrives on Earth. He has sent a message to Superman to tell him that he's why he's coming to Earth, and, as expected, Superman is against the idea. While Vartox releases a gas to keep Superman busy, thousands of feet below, Lois is at Metropolis State Penitentiary interviewing Frank Sykes, who was arrested for the murder of the girl in Rosie's Café. He's about to tell her how his lawyer says he'll soon be free, when suddenly he finds himself being literally pulled through the ceiling to awaiting Vartox, hovering over the building. By this point, Superman has arrived, intent on stopping Vartox, and soon the two heroes begin fighting, while down below, Lois is busy trying to capture the footage of the fight on a video camera, for WGBS, of course. After more fighting, Vartox fires hyperchargers at the Man of Steel, but while they are powerful enough to kill a human, they have no effect on Superman. Unfortunately, one of the deflected charges heads straight for Lois, and not even Superman is fast enough to save her this time. While Superman cradles her lifeless body, Vartox apologizes, for he can tell that he truly loved her. But this whole scene was just a mental projection of what most likely would happen if Vartox carried out such a battle plan. So this leaves Vartox to figure out how to retrieve Sykes without battling Superman or killing Lois. Chapter 2, and the mystery begins. Outside Metropolis, Lois and Clark are heading back to the city from somewhere, when they hear on the radio that Sykes is about to be freed from jail due to some legal loophole. Clark decides that he's going to keep tabs on Sykes, and as soon as he steps over the legal line, he'll nab him. Late that night in his hotel room, Sykes thanks his brother for the lawyer that got him out of jail. Unknown, behind him, is Vartox, who uses his hyperpower to make Sykes' brother say that he sent a friend to help Sykes out. After he hangs up, Sykes sees Vartox, but this time he's in a regular suit and introduces himself as Vart and says he'll help pull off a crime spree if Sykes will just snap his fingers. So he does, and suddenly both are inside Spiffany's jewelry store. That's right, Spiffany's. Inside, Vart points out an especially large jewel that Sykes helps himself to. And while he admires it, Vartox makes the display case disappear. Then, with a snap of Sykes' fingers, they are back in the hotel room. Across town, despite it being late at night, Clark and Lois are taking judo lessons. Lois flips Clark for the third time, and while he's sitting on the mat, Clark checks in on Sykes and sees him with the jewel. Faking a sickness after that last fall, Clark slips away and flies off as Superman. While he busts into the hotel room through a window, Sykes hops on the bed to get away, so Superman lands on the bed, sending Sykes headfirst into the ceiling. While he hangs up there helpless, Vartox provides an unseen boost of hyperpower so that Sykes can not only free himself, but also use his new powers to send Superman drilling down through the hotel to the basement, while, with another snap, Sykes and Vartox disappear. While Superman finds out that there are no jewels missing from Spiffany's, Vartox reveals that he and the jewel are from another world, and tells Sykes that if they go back to his planet, Sykes will receive a handsome reward. Now, anxious to go to the alien world, both men are engulfed by a teleport trail that sends them traveling to Vartox's planet. 
Superman spots this and takes off after them, arriving just in time to save the men from smashing into a fragment of white white dwarf star that just happened to float inside the teleport beam by destroying it with a super punch. But surprisingly, Superman allows the men to continue on their journey. Once they arrive on the planet, Vartox resumes his hero costume and arrests Sykes for the murder of his wife and takes him to the Judgment Bureau. Later, Superman arrives and explains that he didn't stop them because Sykes went to Vartox's planet of his own free will, so there was really no reason to do so. Then Sykes is brought back to the heroes, where Vartox explains that Sykes' punishment for murder is 60 years, but instead of spending all that time in a prison, Sykes' age has actually been accelerated by 60 years. Now that he served his time, Superman is allowed to take the 90-year-old Sykes back to Earth, and Superman marvels that Sykes got away with murder on one world, only to be punished for it on another. And after a short promo, we'll get into the notes. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Since the day Bruce Banner was bathed in gamma rays, he has fought the creature within. The creature torments Banner. The creature is unstoppable. The creature is incredible. Now, the countdown has begun to Banner's greatest confrontation with the Hulk. And all of his internal battles have come down to one moment. One final chance to reclaim his life and be whole. And three words will change the Hulk and Banner forever. Honey, I'm home. Bigger. Smarter. Greener. The Hulk is taken to new heights as writer Peter David delivers an all-new phase for the Jade Giant. And Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, is bringing it all to you. Join J. David Weeder, Lee Busby, and Michael Bailey as they turn a new corner and cover the all-new, all-different Incredible Hulk. Find the Ultimate Hulk podcast experience weekly at iTunes and at IncredibleHulkHomePage.com. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast. Experience the epic like never before. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Alright, looking at this. Page one. Vartox's costume is basically a vest, brown briefs, and thigh-high boots. Plus, he's got this nice receding hairline, and I'm pretty sure the missing hair got onto his arms and chest. Uh, And, of course, his mutton chops. Can't forget those, because it's the 70s and those were in. Not one of the best costume designs, but considering the costume's inspiration, I really can't blame Swan here. It's actually a little bit better than the Zardo's costume. Page 2. For a Bronze Age Superman book, this is a pretty dark way to start the story. The girl in Rosie's cafe even has her eyes open still after she dies. Which is kind of dark. Um, page 4. How can an autopsy reveal that Zartox's wife had a bionic twin? And on page 5, how do they know that the twin was on Earth? Page 6. The switch to Vartox's mind projection is very subtle here. Instead of rounding the corners of the panels or making it look like thought balloons uh, like they usually seem to do, the panel borders here are just thinner. Actually, the panel borders for the real-life situation have been thickened for this whole first chapter, so the projection panels are at a normal thickness, so you really don't notice. Um, In fact, you wouldn't notice it until after it's revealed that it's just a projection and actually think to look back. And once you get into chapter 2, they're back to their thinness again, so 
I don't know if that's supposed to mean that uh, the rest of the story is a projection or if they just stopped doing that since they didn't need to anymore. Page 10. The combination of Superman not being fast enough and Lois appearing to die must have been quite a shock to readers back in 1974. I mean, it was a shock to me, and I knew that she'd be back by the next issue. So, yeah. Especially since she does not like she shows up to the rest of the issue. So if some kid picks it up and just skims through it, and uh, they're gonna think they might think that she was dead. Page 11. Apparently Highway 101 into Metropolis is a deserted highway, uh, and Lois and Clark are the only ones on it. Also, I like the subtle line work in the windshield of the car to indicate that the wipers have been used. Most artists would probably skip something like that. On page 16, okay, two things here. Number one, would you still be conscious after your head was thrust through a ceiling? Because I've never had that happen to me, so I don't know. Number two, would that same ceiling then be strong enough for a man to literally just hang there? Okay. Um... Those are rhetorical, but if you happen to have experienced something like this, please feel free to write in at superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Page 17. Swan draws Sykes snapping his fingers, but his hand looks more like Spider-Man's when he's about to shoot some webbing. The sound effect here looks like it should be more like thwip than snap. Page 18. Sykes has taken the fact that Vartox is from another planet very calmly. I mean, granted, I know this is a world where there's a lot of superheroes that are from other worlds, but still, I would think that to actually meet one would kind of freak you out for a little bit. And page 20, this is an interesting turnaround for the 60 years punishment. I thought he was going to be in prison for a while, so him coming out as a 90-year-old man was pretty interesting. Overall, I found myself really liking this issue. In fact, I think the only problem I had with it was that it suddenly seemed to have a Silver Age vibe to it once Sykes made Superman drill through the apartment building. Before that, it felt like a more mature modern for the 70s story but after that it felt like it would have worked in the 60s with the people doing stuff without explanation or thought balloon and uh, Superman getting kind of stuck in a silly situation with the drilling it just seemed like it would have worked there Uh, the art however was great not quite as good as the Captain Thunder issue from last time but still great and Swan makes sure that Vartox always has a somber look on his face. Even at the end, when you think he'd have a look of relief or maybe a small smile due to his plan working and his wife's killer brought to justice, we only see him from the back so we can't see his face. It's a subtle thing, but it's really cool. And of course, I don't know if that was his idea or Bates, but I like it. Oh, that was pretty quick. Um, that's it for my notes, so here's a couple more promos and we'll be right back with the ads. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. The Superboyhomepage.com and Simply Superman Batman presents the Schuster Herald Podcast. I'm your host, Sam J. Rizzo. I'm your co-host, Adam Bassiano. So tell us, Adam, what's going to be on the Schuster Herald Podcast? Well, Sam, we have episode reviews, never before heard cast and crew interviews and of course we'll be taking a weekly look at what's happening in the superman universe as a whole so take flight with us superboy fans in 2013 as this new superboy podcast gets off the ground look 
up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. First ad, we start off with the inside front cover, and this is one of those prizes for cash thing to sell sample cards from Olympic. And you get all the various prizes like guitars, clock radios, electric organs, you know, things that you might have liked if you were in the 70s. Uh, the next ad page is to wear your own football jersey like the pros from Baby Ruth and Butterfinger. And this is a two-page ad. And basically this is to get a pro-style jersey made of all nylon mesh in your choice of four colors and your choice of numbers. And you get your name on the back. And you can get in there made by Champion who make the jersey who at this point were making the jerseys for the professional football teams and you can get them in youth size and adult size which well, isn't bad and uh, the, the color combinations they have are white with red red with white blue with gold and white with blue so not too many choices if you happen to not like a team with those colors. Uh, but the artwork is kind of interesting because it's, it's a somewhat detailed art of the of a kid throwing a football, but it's literally like, if, if you watch... How do I want to explain this? If you're watching, like, the... Uh, oh, here you go. If you're watching, like, a behind-the-scenes thing on some... CGI movie, say, maybe Animaniacs, not Animaniacs, Incredibles, or any Pixar movie. And they sh- you, they actually show you some of the wire work that they use for that, the uh, wire animation, to kind of get a feel for how the characters will move and stuff. That's very much what this looks like, very minimalist drawing. And this kid's wearing a headband, because, you know, this is the mid-70s and headbands were cool. But the way it's drawn here... Uh, it kind of looks like he's got a deflated brain. It, it's kind of weird. Anyway, um, enough about that. Ad. Next one, we have a house ad that compares all their 20-cent comics, or not all of them, maybe, but several of them. Um, and none of them are superhero books, so that's interesting here. Uh, but, you know, we've got the latest issue of Ghosts, Our Army at War, Commandy, The Witching Hour, OMAC, uh, Star Spangled War Stories, Swamp Thing, and Jonah Hex. I'm sorry, that's actually Weird Western Tales presents Jonah Hex. Uh, but more of that, more about those in a little bit. Next page is kind of a hodge. Well, it's not really a hodgepodge ad. The top half is it's for three different things. You can get an authentic Superman costume, which doesn't look authentic at all, because it is. Um, <laughs> well, actually, if this was authentic. This would actually fit more now for now than back then. Um, it's a Superman. It looks like a one-piece suit. No red underwear. It's just straight blue all the way down. The belt's yellow, though. 
uh, with the Superman symbol on the chest. Uh, down below the knees, it changes to red color, and hopefully you have red shoes because it stops before it gets to shoes. And you tie the cape on the back. I don't know how that's authentic, but whatever. There's also American Indian hand wrestling kit, which I guess is supposed to build strong muscles fast, and Fear No Man with Kung Fu lessons. And on the bottom half is how to make money fast by selling uh, metal social security plates and metal door plates. Let's see, the next page. Oh, it's a two-page ad for some of your favorite Saturday morning cartoons on CBS. Starting with Shazam! And then zing into the future with the Partridge family in the year 2200. It's animated, but still. There's also the Valley of the Dinosaurs. I kind of remember seeing repeats of that. Uh, the Harlem Globetrotters popcorn machine. I've seen replays of that on Cartoon Network. And later on Boomerang. Uh, then the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Comedy Show. And apparently the Hudson Brothers and the Globetrotters make Saturday on CBS the biggest giggle day of the week. And then, of course, there's the U.S. of Archie, where they kind of take a trip through the U.S. history. So, those are just the new news shows joining the lineup. So, basically, what you get for the Saturday morning schedule, um, at 8 o'clock, you get Speed Buggy. At 8.26, you get In the News, which um, actually follows every show on both Saturday and Sunday, with the exception of the CBS Children's Film Festival. And, of course, program times may vary based on your channel, so please check local TV listings. But anyway, 8.30, Scooby-Doo, where are you? 9 o'clock, Genie. 9.30, Partridge Family, 2200 AD. 10 o'clock, Valley of the Dinosaurs. 10.30, Shazam! 11 o'clock, Harlem Globetrotters Popcorn Machine, 11.30, The Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Comedy Show, 12 o'clock, U.S. of Archie, 12.30, Fat Albert, 1 o'clock, the CBS Children's Film Festival, and 1.30, another episode of CBS Children's Film Festival. And then, of course, Sunday morning is My Favorite Martians and Bailey's Comet. Uh, the next ad page is another ad, for this one for uh, some of the 100-page issues coming out this month. Uh, looks like this month's issue of World's Finest, Batman, Justice League of America, Shazam, Unexpected, Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, and Young Romance all had 100-page issues this month. We'll check in on that in a little bit. Next page is one of those bodybuilding ads, because comic book readers want to bodybuild, I'm sure. Uh, the next page is two more big ones from the biggest in the new DC Gigantic Supersize. Uh, which is one, a treasury-sized edition of Ghosts, which just collects a lot of the uh, greatest collection of ghost stories ever printed. And then, of course, the long-awaited rare first edition of Batman number 1. Uh, it, yeah, the famous first edition version of Batman number 1, also oversized. So that's pretty cool. Next up, we get half-page ad for Monster Size Monsters for only a dollar. And the bottom half is basically to sell those metal plates again. Hmm. Two ads in the same book. I don't know if that's allowed. Um, after the letters page, which I didn't really mention because yeah, didn't really see anything important. Uh, the next is um, you want to sell some like 
Christmas stuff. Christmas remembering assortment. Looks like cards. Yep, that's what they are. They're basically cards. Sell Christmas cards. Uh, for Cheerful House. Inside back cover is another sell, sell stuff and you get prizes or cash. Uh, which is basically like the inside front cover, slightly different items. And then the back cover is uh, win one of 250 Big Wheel prizes entering Monogram's Big Wheel Deal Contest. First prize is a Targila, Targilia, Targila, Targlia, Targlia MKV full-size ready-to-run replica car with real-mounted VW engine by Jared Company, which I hope you're old enough to drive this, but looks like a basically almost a street-level, street-legal car. Second prize is a 1975 Harley-Davidson X90 minibike with 4-speed transmission and 90 cc's of oil-injected engine. And the third prize is a 10-speed bike. Fourth prize is a $50 selection of monogram kits from our new catalog. Fifth or twenty-five fifth prizes is thirty-five dollar selection of monogram kits. Twenty-five sixth place prizes is twenty-five dollars selection of monogram kits, and a hundred and seventy-five seventh place prizes, ten dollar selection of monogram kits. So yeah, but you gotta hurry because it ends February fifteenth, nineteen seventy-five. So you know, make sure you get your order form in real quick. And that's it for the ads. Next up is Elsewhere, Elsewhere in the DC, in the DC multiverse. multiverse. All right, other books you would have seen on the stands this month in August 1974. Let's see, we had that issue of Ghosts, uh, Army of War, and Young Romance, 100-page special. Justice League of America number 114 was also a 100-page giant. The first story featured the return of Anachronus. Also included in this is a reprint of Crisis on Earth 3 featuring a team-up of, of course, the Justice League and the Justice Society of Earth-2. Uh, let's see, there's Commandy, still done by Kurt, uh, by Jack Kirby at this point, at least the covers were. Uh, Swamp Thing 13, Plop number 8, weird-looking cover. Uh, let's see, World's Finest number 226 was another 100-page giant. Uh, Superman and Batman apparently team up, or deal with Metamorpho. And then there's also reprints from the a reprint from the Golden Age of Sandman. There's a Eclipso story, Robot Man, Dead Man, Martian Manhunter, and another Martian Manhunter. In fact, uh, the the first Martian Manhunter story is a reprint of his first appearance. There's Omac the One Man Army, and then Shazam, in which Captain Marvel meets Lex Luthor. So after last issue, we had. Superman meeting Captain Thunder. This time, Captain Marvel's going to meet Lex Luthor. The cover artist for this is Bob Oxner. So he draws Captain Marvel in the C.C. Beck style, Superman in a more modern Kurt Swan style, and then, of course, you know, he's also able to get Luthor to look Kurt Swanish. I'm betting Swan came in to do their faces. Just a guess. But there's plenty of stories in this issue. There's the new Captain Marvel story, then a bunch of reprints. Uh, a Mary Marvel story, another Captain Marvel story, um, a Marvel family story, three more Captain Marvel stories, and one Captain Marvel Jr. story. So that's a big one if you like Shazam. 
Uh, Superboy number 205 featuring uh, the Legion of Superheroes, uh, which is another 100-page giant, and a f- the version on uh, the Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics looks like it's actually signed by Mike Grell, which works since he drew the Carrie Bates-written story to start the issue. Um, and then, of course, the rest of the stories in this issue. One is Superboy, two more are Legion stories. Uh, they are all reprints. Batman number 259 is another 100-page giant. Uh, the first story actually has Batman and the Shadow, although this might have been back when Batman was just a lad. And then, of course, we have about five more Batman reprints. Instead of throwing in other sto- other characters, just Batman. Flash number 230, in which Flash... Uh, has, faces the fury of the fire demon. Flash number 230 in which Flash faces the fury of the fire demon and Green Lantern deals with the man from yesterday in his solo backup feature. And finally this month uh, there's Adventure Comics currently known as Weird Adventure Comics with a brand new Spectre story from the classic uh actually oh no 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 that was the Aquaman story. Uh a Spectre story from the classic Mike Fleischer Jim Aparo era of Spectre and there's a brand new Aquaman feature also drawn by Mike Grell. And that's it for this month. Next up J. David Weeder continues his series of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes in Superboy in the Bronze Age. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. Welcome to another exciting edition of Superboy in the Bronze Age, where I, J. David Weeder, have been reading through the Bronze Age adventures of the Teen of Steel alongside the Legion of Superheroes. This time around, we look at Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, issue 199, which picks up from the plot point dropped at the end of issue 197, with a story entitled The Gun Who Mastered Men, written by Carrie Bates with art by Dave Cockrum. Uh, The cover features Superboy wearing the arm that flew off Tyr and into space, which is a sentence that I'm kind of surprised I heard coming out of my mouth, but he is actually blasting Brainiac 5 and other Legionnaires are scrambling all around. Now, opening the cover to the title page, we see Superboy and Brainiac 5 explaining that, in the past, the Legionnaires have been threatened by many weapons, from the solar stunner to the retro, retro rifle, not something else. Woo! But none like the gun they are about to go up against. And the story itself kicks off on page 2, with a recap of 198, wherein Tyr invaded the Legion HQ with help from the brainwashed Timberwolf, who rose up against Tyr, captured the villain, and then his massive gun hand flew into space like a satellite. And then the story really kicks in, with Tyr being escorted to a cell and Brainiac 5 thanking Superboy for being there when Tyr attacked. If not for him, they wouldn't have captured the Mohawked villain. Wait, what? Superboy didn't really do Jack or Squat to capture Tyr. That honor actually went to Saturn Girl and Timberwolf. 
That scene really makes no sense to me, but I guess if it works, it works. Even when it doesn't work? But Superboy takes off for Smallville in the 20th century, and just as he is vanishing out of sight, the gun hand strikes the Legion headquarters with a powerful force field beam, cutting the HQ off from the rest of the world. This means the five remaining Legionnaires within, Chameleon Boy, Brainiac 5, Starboy, Princess Projectra, and Dream Girl, are trapped. And they are trapped inside with Tear. Okay, that ramped up the suspense, I'll admit. But we just burned through f- the first five pages of a 13-page story, and it actually had a recap in there. And an awkward goodbye to Superboy. That's the main part of the first five pages. We're almost halfway through, and not a lot has happened, which is going to be kind of a theme for this story, just to spoil ahead. But how can I get mad when Starboy is there and wearing that Starfield bodysuit that makes him look so very... Awkward? I never thought I would hear myself say this. Please go back to the purple tights, Starboy. Please. Anyway, pages 6 through 9. Jumping back into the story. Just when you thought Superboy was long gone? Think again. The Teen of Steel luckily caught sight of the beam hitting the headquarters and doubled back to the 30th century. Superboy flies into space to the source of the beam, the gun hand. And how many times am I going to have to use the term gun hand? I... Don't know. But Superboy prepares to smash the gun hand. Well, there's another one. When the scene fades to an odd prismatic red shard breaking glass thing. Which we assume is him breaking the gun. Meanwhile, Tyr is stalking about Legion headquarters. And I have a fairly worthless power girl even senses him. No, wait, that should have actually been Dream Girl. Not I have fairly worthless superpowers. Uh, But she senses Dream Girl senses him stalking around. And Brainiac decides to check for people stalking around in the Rambo style by recklessly firing into the ceiling, which is a little bit out of character. But it works, because Tear falls from the grate he was watching from. And Princess Projectra whines a little that they're the weakest Legion members, right after Tear warns him that the Hand will try another attempt to destroy them. Bear in mind, we are now nine pages into this story. Nine pages of a 13-page story. Barely anything has happened. It feels like we should be just getting into the the end of the first act, but here, on page 10, something actually happens. Because Superboy returns from his flight into space with the gun in tow. Ah? But it turns out the gun is towing Superboy because the Teen of Tomorrow was possessed by the gun, and it forces him to blast his Legion teammates, and with the remains of his teammates sizzling like bacon. Oh, bacon... Oh, but anyway, Tyr accuses the Hand of double-crossing him and overpowers Superboy until the Gun Hand releases its hold on the Teen of Steel. But the Gun Hand is surprised to find that this, well, this isn't Tyr. Turns out the Legion have employed Princess Projecta's illusion powers to make it look like the Legion was disintegrated and sizzling like sweet, delicious, yummy bacon. And, once again, Chameleon Boy is disguised as Tyr. Just like we saw last issue when he was disguised as Mano. You kind of see Chameleon Boy's role on the team. So, the day is saved in the most anticlimactic way possible. And we waited two issues for really very little to happen. And I'm just going to walk away from this issue wanting bacon because... Honestly, the bouncing boy backup in this issue where he's captured by an intergalactic hunter and made to run for his life as the ultimate game was more interesting than the main story. But there is a silver lining... Next time is issue 200, and I have bacon in the fridge waiting to cook up. So until next time, long live the Legion.
and bacon. Thank you very much, David. And that will just about wrap things up this time. Next episode, we'll look at a story that was written as a tribute to Siegel and Schuster from a time before they were actually allowed to have their creator credits in the books. That's coming up in just two weeks. I hope to see you then. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. <laughs> <laughs>